0: your attention just quickly to the packet that's in front of you. Um, as usual, front and back page blanks. Um, the scriptures that we will be reading for tonight are, some of them are a little lengthy, and so we got a uh, front and back page and, and the, the next page of another, of page five there, which also is our scripture reading. Um, I've included, uh, again, the um, on page six, the, just a brief little snapshot of the family tree of Amri and of Jehoshaphat, Amri uh, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, just so that you can kind of keep straight the people and things like that as we go through it because it, some of this is is uh, some more names are going to come up basically in the family tree that you kind of just want to just be sure you have a, a snapshot of. And then obviously on the last page again, is that page that we all, always put back here, which is just a, a general timeline of the kings as they occur in the north and the south. And I just want to remind you real quick, um, if, uh, in case you've forgotten or whatever, that uh, at the point we're at right now in Second Kings, the nation of Israel is divided into two nations, basically. Uh, The north kingdom, the northern kingdom, is we refer to as Israel. The Bible tends to refer to it as Israel. And the southern kingdom that the Bible tends to refer to as Judah. Um, And so those kings, there's two different kings on two different thrones in two different nations, even though they are kind of one brotherhood. They were originally one people and then divided. And so the the reason that I, I like to include this on the back is... Mainly because when you get especially to where we are right now, right in the middle of Second Kings, some of the names start blending together. Uh, sometimes you get a name on the northern throne and the southern throne that's almost that's virtually the exact same, and so it just helps to to know where those kings are and the times that they serve is pretty close. There's some difficulty in pinning years to kings and things like that, but um, they these should be pretty close. And as we go, we're going to be filling in the prophets as they occur in history. In prophets to the north, prophets to the south, and then prophets to other nations that will be in parentheses uh, in one of those in one of those countries. And so, just that's your packet for tonight. Just wanted to be sure you're aware of that. Now, what we've been trying to do is really go through the Old Testament timeline and put people and places in their setting and not only understand the Bible story, but also understand how history comes alongside that and testifies to the same things that are happening and how our understanding of all the things that are going on in and around Israel at this time, northern and southern kingdom, that we by doing that we can get a better picture of the history of the Jewish people which actually then leads us into the new testament and helps explain so much about what jesus is doing what john the baptist is doing what the disciples are doing and the and the context that they are set in and in the, in the meantime, also the prophets in the Old Testament, all these kinds of things, it helps us to set those people in their places by just understanding the history. And so I want to just walk through what we talked about last week, just as a review, in case you've forgotten. Am I, am I clicked? Am I on? All right. Um, Elijah, remember, had told everyone back in 1 Kings that it, it was Ahab that was going to come to ruin. God had told him that this is what was going to happen. Ahab's house was going to come under judgment. He was going to wipe the whole thing out. And Elijah needed to uh, identify. There were basically three people that he was going to identify and anoint, two of them specifically. One was Elisha to be the prophet in his place. The next was, uh, there was Hazael of Damascus. And then there was Jehu, uh, commander of the armies of the north. And Jehu was the one that was going to actually bring the most amount of judgment on Ahab's family directly. And so Jehu is later anointed, not by Elijah, but actually by Elisha. So Elijah leaves Mount Sinai, goes immediately to Elisha, anoints him as a prophet that will take his place eventually. And Elisha joins in with this group that we find identified as the sons of the prophets, which is obviously some sort of little school of prophets that are following Elijah and now Elisha around. After Elisha is anointed, there's a series of events that take place in 2 Kings where Elisha is demonstrating, and really the Lord is demonstrating through Elisha that he is with Elisha, that Elisha has taken up the mantle of Elijah. And so he begins uh, doing lots of miracles and works that we see uh, Jesus also mirroring in the New Testament and things like that. But then eventually it becomes time for Elisha to anoint Jehu as king. And it's at a point, at a crucial moment where Joram, who is king of Israel, is injured in battle and he's back trying to recuperate. And Elisha anoints Jehu to go in at that moment, and judge the house of Ahab by taking them all down. And Jehu does not disappoint. He goes and he begins to judge Ahab's family completely. And after he does that, he then goes to Samaria, and or he leaves for Samaria. And on the way, he meets Ahaziah's family. Now, if you if these names are unfamiliar to you, or you're trying to remember who these names are, go back to the family tree, and you'll see there the names of these people. And what you'll find is very interesting: that Ahab's house actually extends into the southern kingdom because his uh, his nephew or his his uh, gr- his grandson, sorry, is on the throne. And his grandson by marriage in the south. And so at the point where where Jehu judges Joram, the house of Ahab, by killing him, Ahaziah, who is the king of the south, is also there visiting his uncle. And so Jehu uses that as an opportunity to kill him too. So we find that actually judgment is coming on the southern kingdom too in the whole Ahab debacle. All right? Well, it doesn't end there. As Jehu leaves for Samaria, he's going to kill some more people that are associated with worship of Baal and, and, um, and just all kinds of idolatry. As he's on his way, some relatives of Ahaziah from the south come up in order to greet the kings of the north. They have no idea what's going on. And Jehu... Uh, sees it as an opportunity to tell his men, take them alive, and he slays them too, kills all of them too. So the house of Ahab is coming down, but also the house of Ahaziah is coming down as well. All right. So he gets to Samaria, and he pretends like he is a worshiper of Baal. Oh, you think Joram was a worshiper of Baal? You ain't seen a worshiper of Baal until you see me worship Baal. I worship Baal with a fierceness, all right, with an intensity you've never seen before. And all the prophets of Baal go, well, great, because as you can imagine, a new king comes on the throne, especially when it's not at the same house, and you have no idea what you're going to get. You don't have any idea what you're going to get with a president that's voted in, all right? All right. But now a king gets in, you have really no idea. And when this guy was the former commander of the armies who basically led it, is leading an insurrection of the current king or what was the current king, and he killed him and the king of the south too in the same day. I mean, you really have no idea what you're getting. So you can imagine probably a lot of these prophets are scared. They're probably in something of of, uh, hidden places. And he calls them all out. Oh, we're going to have a worship service. We're going to have a worship service. And they all come in droves and they're... He's making sure there's no worshipers of Yahweh in anywhere in the temple. And so he gets them all out. He locks all the the worshipers of Baal in, and then he just lights the whole place on fire. Burns it down, kills all the prophets of Baal in one fell swoop. So judgment has fallen on the house of Ahab in the north. And now, as is typical in the book of Kings, we go from north to south. What's going on in the midst of all of this in the southern kingdom? So scene ends here. And here's what makes sometimes it a little difficult is he'll, they'll say in the north like they did with Jehu. Jehu's section closes in, um, in chapter 9 with, uh, or chapter 10 with Jehu serving, I think it's uh, 40 years, if, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there. And he serves for a number of years before he ever dies and things like that. And, and it closes on Jehu's time. But then when it turns to the south, we go back in time and kind of rewind the clocks a little bit and look at what's happening in the southern kingdom in the midst of all that. And so you're going to see some, while Jehu is still on the throne in this particular year of his reign, this guy took over because we're turning our attention from the north all the way to the south. now. Get that? Sometimes that can be a little bit confusing for people as we read it, but that's what's going on. Okay, so... The destruction of Ahab's house, as we have seen somewhat, has an unsettling effect upon the house of David. Now, why is that a big deal? Listen, anytime David's son is killed, it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. I want you to think about it for just a second. God has promised to David that he's going to have a son on the throne. That's a promise from God. He's going to have a son on the throne. Just consider for a moment, if you will, the improbability of having that many boys when the infant mortality rate is sky high. Just think about how that. You You probably know some people who have only girls, right? Who have only girls because it turns out that it's not a given that you're going to have a boy and that was true even of ancient kings all over the ancient near east we have records where there were kings that did not have boys right so think about just the improbability of that 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 would happen to david's line that he would have a son on the throne right now you've got a son His sons that are on the throne, dabbling in idolatry, who are then killed at the tip of an arrow. That's a big deal. Judgment falling on the north is one thing. They were idolaters. But God made a promise to the kings of the south. What's going to happen to that promise if they keep being killed? Right? So there's some question thrown into the mix. Is God going to be faithful to his promise? How is he going to preserve David's line? In the midst of all this. And we're gonna see that is thrown into even more chaos when Jezebel of the South takes the throne. Yeah. So not only do we have Jezebel of the North, we've got a Jezebel in Judah. Now, her name's not Jezebel, but she acts a whole lot like Jezebel. And this is where you're gonna probably need your timeline here. We're gonna read from 2 Kings chapter 11. Uh, not your timeline. I said your timeline. I meant your, your family, family tree. Uh, 2 Kings, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. Is that big news? Okay, if you don't have verse 2 or verse 3, you're just reading verse 1. And this is maybe, let's say this is your first time through the Scriptures, you're reading straight through. You've read 2 Samuel 7.14, or uh, 1 Samuel 7.14. So, I'm sorry, I was right the first time. 2 Samuel 7.14. And you've seen the promise there that God gives to David. You're reading this now and you're going, well, you can't mean all. Surely you don't mean all. And in fact... The author doesn't really mean all. He means virtually all. But he doesn't mean all. Um, He says, "But in verse 2, But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid... Uh, "...hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land." Okay, Athaliah, look at your, your family tree here. Athaliah is the daughter of...
1: Who is it? Jezebel and, and Ahab,
0: okay. Okay. She's the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Who's she married to? Jehoram or Joram? There's two Jorams on the throne here in the south and the north. Jehoram here that I've labeled on the the chart here. Jehoram is the king of north or south? South. All right. So she is married to the southern king. Even though she is born to the north, she's married to the southern king. So Joram dies. Ahaziah. Her son dies, and so what does she do? Those ones over there labeled others, she goes through and kills them all. She's aiming for Joash too, but she goes through and has them all killed. She probably does not herself. She probably has them killed. All right? And who should come to the rescue of little Joash but Jehoshaphat? You see Jehosheba over there who is Joash's aunt. All right? that makes sense? Or aunt, as it were, depending on where you're from. All right. So she comes to his rescue, hides him away. He's obviously very young because he's going to be seven years old when he takes the throne and she hides him away for six years. So he's, he's a little baby at this point. Does this sound familiar? You've heard this stories like this before in the past, right? Moses was a little baby hidden away, uh, for the death, the death and, and persecution of Pharaoh and, and uh, Jesus was taken away as a baby when someone went and started killing all the firstborn or all the all the males in the area there were several stories like this of god preserving a singular person out of the midst of so much tragedy so what do we know already from the first three verses that there is great reason to believe that the lord is going to be faithful to his promise to david because we've seen here, even in the midst of such unspeakable tragedy as killing an entire family of people, one tiny little baby is hidden away. And that little guy, Joash, is going to be the preserver of the Davidic line, which is which is fantastic. That's great. That's good news for us. Mainly because Jesus is going to eventually come from, from there. So we we definitely need that. Um so, The Jezebel and Judah, she sees what Jehu has done, she uh, goes about destroying every person in uh, Ahaziah's line, basically all her grandkids, and in hopes of of gaining the throne, and she does for a brief period of time, Uh, but we see it will also be short-lived. There is at least one royal prince that has been saved, even though she tried to To do all this, uh, uh, he is smuggled out by Jehoshaphat, and baby Joash is hidden with his nurse in the temple of the Lord. Um, Now, why why would he be
1: hidden in the temple of the Lord?
0: (laughs) She is from the north, right? So she is by birth, really, a worshiper of Baal, She's an idolater by birth, and that's exactly what she is. So maybe she's not going to be in the temple. But what we're going to find out is that there's actually some friendlies in the temple. The priests are actually friendly to the line of David, it turns out. All right? And this is going to be much to Joash's benefit. It's going to be to the benefit of the southern kingdom, that there are priests who actually love the Lord. Hey, what a foreign concept, right? That there are priests here who actually love the Lord and who want to lead the nation to worship the Lord too. And so they hide little baby Joash in amongst some safe company so that he will be tucked away and no harm will come to him. And remember, this is true. Why? Because look at 2 Kings 8, 19, where he says, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah Why? For the sake of
1: David, his servant. It's
0: not because Judah is so good. It's not because he even prefers Judah over anybody else. It is because he set his affection and his promise on David, and he does not intend to deviate from that. So what that tells us, I had a professor friend of mine in seminary who used to say what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future, though he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. One of the things that we get to in the Old Testament and the benefits of the Old Testament is that we see God making a promise and keeping the promise, making the promise and keeping the promise time and time and time again because what god has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future but he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice so if he has kept his promises in the past what are the odds that he's going to keep his promises in the future well there's still one outstanding promise we have of christ's return right and our ultimate redemption in the consummated kingdom right bodily resurrection from the dead Those are still, right now, outstanding promises. What is the odds he's going to keep those promises to us too? Well, if the Bible is nothing else, it is a written record of God keeping his promises time and time and time again. All right, so we've got this one royal prince tucked away, and he is going to be brought out at the right time. And it turns out that that time is when he's seven years old. Which is naturally when you would bring out a king, right? At seven years old. uh, (laughs) Who is going to strike fear. Oh, I didn't advance. Sorry. Uh, It's going to strike fear in the heart of the queen to see this seven-year-old kid. So I I have a seven-year-old, Andrew. My middle son is seven years old. Just imagine, Andrew, you've seen him just... Andrew's brought out in front now he does he can strike heart if fear into the heart of a lot of people but but, but just imagine little seven year old Andrew being brought out as king you know i 'm sure she is shaking in her boots, but Athaliah uh, chosen uh, choosing his moment in the seventh year of Athaliah's reign Jehoiada conspires, and we, we don 't yet know who Jehoiada is we're going we 're going to find that out in just a second but but jehoiada Conspires with the commanders of various military units in Jerusalem uh, and manages to create a secure environment in which the young prince can be king. Let's look at this in 2 Kings 11, 4 to 8. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Kerites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. All right, so you promise you're not gonna tell anybody? You swear on your life? They did. And they're like, okay, we're gonna show you something, but you can't tell a soul. And so they bring out this little seven-year-old boy. He's the one, he's the chosen one. He's been preserved, all right? So he says, and he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and another third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death, be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. They are to guard him with their life. This is a precious, treasured possession here that Jehoiada commands. So it turns out that the plan of Jehoshaphat is not just to hide the king's son with a trusted ally in Jehoiada, but, and that there are friendlies there in the temple, but also that those friendlies in the temple command ranks of military that are on guard. They answer to the priests, well, it's always good to know people in high places, right? Uh, And it's not always what you know, it's who you know. And in this case, the who you know is a a powerful military, it turns out, that have the ability to guard this young man as he's grown up. And to this point, he he has slipped unawares, under the radar, of, of the, Athaliah the queen and so troops surround the entrance as Joash is brought out and there in the middle of the surrounding armies Joash is crowned he is anointed and he is proclaimed king over the southern kingdom which as you can imagine was well received by Athaliah I'm sure it's not um, so he is presented with these laws, and, and, and so uh we see this look at look at nine to twelve, and, and then we'll go back to the Deuteronomy has a gear to explain why. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest, oh we found out he's a priest, all right, had commanded. And they each brought his men who were go, to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath, and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and the shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guard stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house of, on behalf of the king. Then they brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony that's important. You can underline that if you want to. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. All right. This little testimony piece is actually really important because it, it signals what the intention of the priest and hopefully what the intention of Joash is actually to do. Look at the previous passage there that before the one that I just read. Deuteronomy 17, 18 to 20. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, this is God, through Moses, telling the people about when they actually do put a king on the throne eventually. Um, When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. Did you know this? This was a command given to the kings
1: of Israel. Or of, we'll say, of the Jews,
0: throughout the ages, they were to take a copy of the law approved by the priests, and they were to write it out.
1: Why do you think that is To live by it.
0: They had to know it. They had to know it like the back of their hand. How do you know it? Write it out, verse by verse. Can you imagine? What if that was assignment here? Uh, we, we, we do every year, we do a, a Bible yearly reading plan that we put out. You can opt into it. You can not if you choose to. But it's there for you to read. It's hard to do that. What if we said the Bible writing plan? <laughs> you got to write it out every year. I mean, that's what the kings had to do. As the king goes, so goes the nation. We, we deal with this on Sunday morning in Psalms. Right, we're going through the Psalms right now, and I'll even reiterate it again this Sunday. That David is the tip of the spear of the kingdom of God that God is thrusting into the world. And it, his intention is to bring people into glad submission to him. If the king doesn't know the law, how is he going to lead the people to know the law? He can't. But this signals the intention of the priest in crowning Joash, who is of the line of David, to be king over Israel, that their intention is that he would learn this law, he would write it down every year of his life, maybe in crayon the first few years, apparently, but that he would write it down and that he would know it. Why? So that we can get out from under this thumb of oppression that we seem to be under by these wicked people that continue to rule us. It turns out you can't do that unless you know the word of God. Why? Because as we talked about last week, you as people of God, you are shaped by his word. And unless you give yourself to it and to its study, you would never grow or tr- change or be trained in righteousness or be corrected. That's what Paul says the purpose of the word is. And so it's the purpose of the word for um, Joash, or that's what the priests intend. And we're going to see that Jehoiada actually follows through with that. So Athaliah is hot to trot, all right? She is not happy with this at all. And she comes a-running when she realizes what is taking place. So she comes rushing out from her now unguarded palace, because all the soldiers are around the king, and to the temple precincts to find out what all the commotion is about when she discovers the conspiracy that has been drawn against her only much too late. And now she is left only to be executed, because it turns out Jehoiada owns the military now, or really Joash does, but Jehoiada is, is guiding here. OK, so um, look at second uh, kings 11 uh, 13 through sixteen. Um, got to turn my page here. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went uh, into the house of the Lord to the people when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing in blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, treason, treason. Then Je- and Jehoiada, it probably sounded just like that. Then Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks and put to death... Um, Did I miss a line? Oh, and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. Take her outside and kill her. So they did. They laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. All right. So they do with Athaliah what needed to be done. They put to death uh, Jezebel. And Jezebel in the south has not as long a reign as Jezebel of the north, turns out. Jezebel of the north was tolerated for a long time. People followed after her. And we find in the south, uh, 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 God is much quicker to preserve the line of David. And he does so about actually righteous people who, who want to live righteously and live in accordance with his word. And so Jehoiada is one of those people. All right. So what follows right after this is a covenant renewal ceremony, in which the king and the people once more identify themselves as the Lord's people. This goes right along with him handing the law off to Jehoiada for him to co- or, uh, to Joash for him to copy year after year. Is that we're gonna let's let's settle this once and for all. This is who we are. Let's remind ourselves of what is actually taking place here. Look at 17 to 21. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and and people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to meet the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord, and he took ca- he took the captains and the chariots, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athaliah, who quiet is wonderful, after Athaliah, had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Joash or Jehoash was seven years old when he began to reign. Seven years old. All right. So this covenant renewal ceremony is for what purpose? It's to remind the people, hey, let's just remember, we've been seven years, uh, six years under this lady's rule, and she has led in wickedness, and that's what she is. She's from the house of Ahab let's remind ourselves who we are, or better yet, whose we are. We are people of the Lord. That is what we are. And Jehoiada is the one that spearheads this. Now, so let's focus in on Joash just for a second. Joash is brought up, obviously he comes to reign when he is seven years old, meaning he was probably one year old. There's some some difficulty in the way that they counted back then so like for instance you're born and sometimes you'll get the birth year as year one right instead of years we do year zero so when they're born they're zero years old and they live a year well sometimes you have it in the old testament counting like that and then sometimes you have counting like they were born in their their one year old and then they turn two does that make sense so you're turning the age you're about to be as baffling as that is and sometimes they'll do that when kings reign and so it gets really difficult to determine years and ages and things like that but was, he was you know seven years old when he became when he got to the throne and and so he's uh he, he's on the throne but how is a seven year old gonna reign in the south how is he gonna lead anybody i mean i'm thinking of my seven year old son i mean it'd be hard for him to lead a mouse out of a paper bag at seven right How's a seven-year-old gonna do that? Well, it turns out that he is going to be under the sponsorship of Jehoiada. How do we feel about this? We feel good about this. We should feel good about this. Jehoiada has seemed to be proven already in the text as a priest who does seek righteousness in the land. And so, Joash, under his sponsorship, we feel pretty good about this. He takes him on as sort of a surrogate parent, this orphan kid, and really seeks to to raise him and guide him, and so you can see that. Um, uh, in fact, even in Second 2 Chronicles 24.3, this is, don't let this disturb you too much here, Jehoiada got for him two wives, and he had sons and daughters, and it's a huge question we deal with every time when it comes to polygamy in scripture, and it is a difficult one. We've talked about it many times. Uh, I'd be happy to answer those questions at the end, but uh, we're going to move on. Um, okay, so Jehoiada is obviously his sponsor or his uh his adopted dad, if you will, and that's that's probably a good thing because it seems that Jehoiada does want to live righteously now, in the years of apostasy that that were under Athaliah's reign, Shannon I think was the one that answered, well, she doesn't want to go in the temple, and that's actually right when we get to the, this point in the text, we realize. It has fallen into disrepair because she's been on the throne for six or seven years, and she has had zero desire to keep up the temple. Why? Well, because she's the daughter of Ahab. She's a pagan, and she worships the false god. So what reason does she have to keep up the temple? And so what does Jehoiada do but say to Joash, hey, we need to keep up the temple? That's something that we need to do. So look at 2 Kings 4, uh, 12, 4-18. We're not going to read the whole thing, but uh, enough to get the flavor of it. Jehoash said to all the priests, All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money for the, from the assessment of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house whenever any need of repairs is discovered. It's a building fund all right this is this is the the origin of the building fund uh I guess as it were uh and so they start this building fund, but there is a, a, a problem with the building fund because as we get into the twenty third year of joash's reign. We find out that the, uh, that there's plenty of money in the building fund. It's in abundance, but there, there weren't really any improvements that were made. They just sort of sat on the money, sat on the, the building fund. And I don't know in particular why they did that, but they, they, they didn't do anything with it. It says, so, so jo, uh, Joash, look here in verse uh, 6, but by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priest had made no repairs on the house. Therefore King Jehoash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, "Why are you not repairing the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from the donors, they apparently have plenty in hand, but hand it over for the repair of the house. So the priests agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house. then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid uh, of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and the stone cutters, as well as to buy the timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord, and for any outlay of the repairs of the house. But there was not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. For that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house with it. Uh, listen to this, verse 15. This seems like a throwaway line, but listen. And they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out the workmen, for they
1: dealt with Honestly,
0: can you imagine that? So, what it seems like, I just said, why would he include a line like that? I mean, why is it important for you to understand? They didn't even require a ledger to be kept for the money that was spent because the workers didn't abuse it. They took the money that was supposed to be spent, they spent it on what it was supposed to be spent on. And every cent was accounted for, just not written down. They trusted him. What is that? Exactly. The, the, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, today, we would say, what are you, a fool? Right? Of course, you want to keep a, a you know, ledger. You want to be sure where every dollar is spent. But,
1: but why would he say that? Why, why would he put that in there?
0: Why would the author, why would God preserve that verse for 2,000, well, more than 2,000 years, nearly 3,000 years? Why would he preserve that? What does it say to you
1: about the southern kingdom in this moment? Yeah, go
0: all the way back to the garden. Remember the mandate given to Adam? steward what the lord has given to him he doesn't
1: we see that the kingdom of god is work but it's righteous work it's honest work it's
0: work with integrity and here you get this brief glimpse as david's son takes the throne integrity is restored i mean you half expect as you're reading this to for them to just go they didn't keep the ledger and boy, let me tell you, there was some un-honest or dishonest dealing going on there. There was some passing money under the table there. There was some people putting it in their pockets. But that's not what you find. You find honesty. Wait a minute. That gives me hope as I'm reading this. David's son's on the throne now. The wicked are ab- abolished. The evil have been expelled Could we be seeing the repairs of the temple being made, kind of like Solomon in his day making the temple? Oh my goodness, there's peace and quiet, it even says when he took the throne. Peace and quiet, that's what Solomon had when he started building the temple. Could we see now a restoration that is going to lead us back to the Garden of Eden? Well, no, but we have a brief glimpse of hope, right? Oh my goodness. That's not a throwaway line. It's there with intention, obviously. So they put the money in the chest and they start making repairs. However, Jehoiada dies.
1: How do we feel about that? We're sad about
0: that because with Jehoiada goes some spiritual stability. Joash, it turns out,
1: Benefited greatly from Jehoiada's oversight,
0: but ultimately he was wicked. And here we go, We're, we get hope, oh man, it's going to be awesome, and then not quite. Now here, uh, this is where also it can get a little bit difficult, is because when you get to places like this, we see that jo- Joash, although he uh, reigned and begun uh, a A promising campaign as king uh, he ultimately didn't destroy the high places he's he's honestly not revered as one of the kings of of old even though he did obey to some degree when he was younger under Jehoiada's shepherding this is part of what makes it a little bit difficult when you read through second first and second kings because you forget about first and second chronicles and second chronicles comes in and actually fills you in on maybe some other stuff that's going on too behind the scenes, and so you really got to read them all together, and you got to balance out the names. It can sometimes be different across the books, and so it's very difficult. It can be difficult, but you tend to get the priestly account of things in the Chronicles, and so when you're talking about Jehoiada dying, you get a little bit more insight from Chronicles, and what we find is that to compound his sin of not destroying the high places, of Joash's sin of not destroying the high places, we also find that he murders Zechariah the prophet who was the son of Jehoiada. Ugh. This is like his adopted brother. And he has him murdered. Look at 2nd Chronicles 24:20 to 22. Then the spirit of God clothed Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest And he stood above the people and said to them, thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones by command of the king. They stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Remember when He was there, they wouldn't even kill the wicked queen in the house of the Lord. Now they're stoning the priest in the house of the Lord. How far we have fallen. Thus, Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see an avenge. Ouch. All right. So, Some spiritual stability also falls. They murder Zechariah, and it is pretty clear that it was Joash's doing. Now, Joash, by the end of his life, go ahead. It is not, but there is some difficulty with that because one of the gospel writers refers to, actually, one of the gospel writers recalls Jesus saying uh, that they stoned Zechariah and he's talking about the prophet Zechariah, which is a whole nother issue. And so I don't want to bring that up. But but no, it's not. He's the son of Jehoiada. Yeah. So he's he's a priest, not Zechariah the prophet. Um. So uh, where was I? Uh. Oh. So Joash is engaged in a battle with the Syrians. He's left in a vulnerable state with his, his as he's kind of harmed, hurt, hurt, and. In that vulnerable state, his servants conspire against him and they kill him. Look at uh, 24, 23 to 27, just very briefly. At the end of the year, uh, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem to destroy, and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, His servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonite, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimereth, the Moabite. Accounts of his sons and of the many oracles against him and of the rebuilding of the house of God are written in the story of the books of the king uh, of the book of the kings, and Amaziah his son reigned in his place, um, and so the rest of the acts of Joash they're recorded and all that he did in the books. So we have now the drama in the south playing out, and Joash is off the throne. So just just as a reminder, look at your little list back here, your, your list of kings, and you see I have it here as Joash. Um, Joash is on the throne from 835 to 796. So that's how far we've made it, 796. We're in the 700s, y'all. That means we're getting close to northern captivity of Assyria, which is going to be pretty fun. huh? Questions?
1: Comments? Concerns?
0: Uh, the Southern Kingdom. Yeah, the way I read it, I think that's what they, the intention there is—the Southern Kingdom. Yeah. Well, I think that's the importance of of probably understanding it as she says, "Hey, go kill all them," right? Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're 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 obviously not told. And so it's, you know, it's a lot of speculation here, but um, some speculation, probably the order is given, I would imagine. If you go as the chief of the guards and you're to set up a perimeter so that none of them leave and you kill all of them and you miss a baby around here somewhere, I can't, we can't find him. What's going to happen to you? It's not hard to imagine a scenario in which it's not reported to her or it's reported to her. They're all um is that what happened i don't know i mean but but probably something along those lines is is happening there you know there's also people would get the throne that are kind of like kin or or you know so it's it's possible they don't know exactly how many but you would think the little baby oh he's right there i mean seems to be in jerusalem it seems to be right there so you'd figure he would know they would know yeah joe ash But also you would have to say, spiritually, I mean, the explanation is pretty clear. There's The Lord's doing some of this over the eyes of the guards, right? Just like with Moses, just like with Jesus, just like with, you know, a number of other things. So, other questions? Good
1: question. All right. Well, let's
0: um, close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and and its testimony to us over time. And thank you for reiteration to us again and again through your word that you do preserve a remnant, that you do have people that are yours who do carry out your Will Even in the most trying times, um, even in the most difficult of days, there are still people who have not bowed the knee to false gods, who live their lives in accordance with your word, who seek to do what uh, is commanded of them in Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that we would be counted among them, that we would be those kind of people. Make us into those kind of people. We know that that only comes about by your spirit. Moving in us, giving us the understanding of scripture that is in front of us, empowering us to obey it. Our hearts are prone to wander. But by your grace and by your
1: mercy and by your spirit, we may obey. We may actually please you And so we pray that you would allow us that kind
0: of faith, the kind of faith that acts, the kind of faith that does, kind of faith that in the midst of a twisted and wicked generation, we might shine like stars. Not because of our own moral standing, whatever that may be, but because we seek to honor you and live our lives for your glory. Pray that you would empower us to do that as only
1: you can. In Jesus' name, amen.